I want to talk for a few minutes tonight about the relationship between faith and the gospel and how those two are connected to one another. And as I was studying this out, I was thinking about a quote by an old Primitive Baptist elder who's been dead and gone. His name was J.D. Holder. One of the things that he used to say was that no man should form an opinion on any Bible subject unless he is thoroughly familiar with what the Bible has to say on that subject as a whole. And that's not real profound, that's just good sense. I would say let's apply that across the board, not just to, uh, you know, to biblical things, because the Bible even tells us, it says uh, in the book of Proverbs, it says, he that answereth the matter before he heareth it, it's folly and shame unto him. But that's, you know, that's kind of the world that we live in. Uh, we're, we're very quick to take a tiny bit of information and make a judgment. And, you know, your judgment is only as good as your information, right? So a lot of times, you know, we'll catch a headline, not even read the article, but we'll just catch a headline or a quick little post on Facebook about something, have very little information on it, and we'll just kind of make up our mind and, and, and take a stance on it. And we really haven't heard the whole matter out. And so the end result of that, the Bible tells us, is you're probably going to end up looking like a fool. Uh, because there's always more to it than what you just are initially exposed to. So uh, that's just good advice across the board is before you jump in there and, and plant your feet down on something, hear the whole matter out and see what the, what the full story is. And uh, that's what Brother J.D. Holder was saying about uh, you know, scriptural things. Before you take a stance on what faith is or what grace is or what salvation is or what you need to have a very good understanding of what the bible has to say on that subject as a whole um, and what that takes is that's going to take some effort that's going to take some study that's going to take uh sitting through probably a lot of sermons and and i've told you before when i came to the primitive baptist church Although I'd grown up in church my whole life, once I started hearing these uh, elders preach, I realized I really don't know hardly anything about the Bible. You know, I've been in church a long time and I should know it, but I was just kind of a casualty of, of what I would call the modern day church. And I, and I blame myself too because I wasn't doing any kind of personal study there, but I just didn't really know anything. I knew just a little bit about what some things were and I just kind of built my belief system, my stance off the what little information I have. And so I can appreciate what Brother Holder is saying here that, you know, there may be a time that you're, you know, somebody comes to you with a question and they may say, hey, can you explain what grace is to me? And it's okay to say to them, I tell you what, I'm in the process of studying what the Bible has to say about that as a whole. I'll get back with you instead of just blurting something out and, and you know, really giving uh, some information of something that maybe you don't truly know exactly what it is. And, and I've, I've discovered about my own self, you know, the older I get, the, the more I'm becoming aware of just how corrupt our fallen natures are um, and just how easily we can believe something and hold on to something and be so prideful we can't turn it loose when we really don't have a whole lot of information to ever have come to the conclusion that we did to start with. But that's just kind of how our minds work. So I want to look tonight at the relationship between uh, faith and the gospel. Now, if you'll turn to the book of Romans for just a minute, I'm going to go to a few places, but I want to, you can flip over to Romans, the 10th chapter. And I want to kind of lay out for you what is a very common 
belief system about what faith is and what the gospel is and how those two connect to one another. Now, a commonly held position on the faith and the gospel would go something along these lines. People will say um, a preacher has got, or, or maybe not even a preacher, somebody has got to expose you to the gospel. They've got to present the gospel to you. And once you are presented the gospel and you hear it, then once you hear it, there is something inside of you that is born or that comes to life or that is activated and they will say that is your faith. And your faith, once you have heard the gospel, your faith begins to shine forth and that generates a belief. And then that belief causes you to want to call upon the name of the Lord and to confess your sins and to seek out and beg the Lord for forgiveness and salvation. Okay, that is very, very common. Uh, that is a common belief about how the gospel and faith works. And they would say that the gospel would come first to you. And then once the gospel comes to you uh, through the hearing of that gospel, faith comes to life and that faith generates a belief that you have to decide, am I going to act on that belief and call out to the Lord, call to the Lord to save me? Okay. Now, if I only take a part of the Bible, I can very easily believe that if I just look at a piece of the Bible. But now, and, and let, me, let me tell you where that belief uh, uh, comes from. And, and I'm not being critical because I believed that for a long, long time. But in Romans, the 10th chapter, and I don't have time tonight to just dissect Romans, the 10th chapter, but it's, it's, it's one of the main things to the Roman, as, as you'll hear some people say, it's the, the Roman road to salvation. Well, look, I, I, I can say this because I've been there. That road's got a lot of potholes and, and it leads nowhere. You know, a road is supposed to take you somewhere. That Roman road is a dead end with tons of potholes. And I wish I could go through and dissect Romans 10 to prove that, but I don't have time to do that. But I want to give you where that belief system comes from of preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel must come first. And it comes from Romans 10. Well, let's just start reading in verse 9. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, this section of Romans 10, it kind of gives you a little bit of information. And then it's going to give you some more information following that that, 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 that kind of precedes this. So I'll explain this in a minute. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now, let me just pause there. I cannot go past this pothole, okay? I can't go past this one without sharing it. People will tell you, this is how you're saved. You got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. You got to believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. Here's one of my problems and what I would call a pothole. The experts, I guess I would say, the experts that have studied it out much, much, much more than I have, all typically will agree that the earth is six seven thousand years old so let's just say it's seven thousand years old the first five thousand years of the earth's existence 
There was no resurrected Jesus. Do you understand? It, was only, it has only been in the last 2,000 or so years that you could believe that God raised him from the dead. I hope that's making sense to you. So if it says that you have to believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, did Abel believe in his heart that God raised him from the dead? Did Moses? Did Abraham? Did Joshua? What about all those people? Jesus Christ being raised from the dead, the, vat, the large percentage of the people that have ever existed did not live in a time where they could believe that. So if this is the recipe for salvation, it only applies to those that, that were after the resurrection of Jesus. What about all those people before? I heard a preacher say one time, he challenged people. He had a radio broadcast and he challenged people. He said, I want people to find me half of a verse, half of a verse that shows or proves that God saves some people one way and another people another way. He said, I'm not asking for six or seven verses. I'm not even asking for one verse. I'm asking for half of a verse that would prove that God saves some people one way and another people another way. And of course, he never, nobody ever took him up on that. And so we know as primitive Baptists that the Lord saves all his people the exact same way. Amen. And this salvation that we're talking about here is not eternal salvation. Now, let me get over that pothole and get to where I'm going. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Go to verse uh, well, let's keep going. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Here's the other big verse that they like. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, so there's, there's part of the recipe that we just talked about, about you've got to confess, you, uh, you've got to uh, believe, and you've got to call upon the name of the Lord. Well, it goes back a step and says, all right, well, how do we ever get to the point in somebody's life where, where, where they will confess, where they will believe, where they will call out? It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? See, the, he said, all right, if we're going to call, well, in order for him to call, we got to believe. And it says, well, how can they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without a preacher? You see, they, they, they back up here and show you the progression of what they believe. Well, you got to have a preacher in order to hear. you got to hear in order to believe. And you got to believe in order to call. Now listen, I could stand up in a room full of people that knew nothing about the Bible and stick right here and leave every person in there believing that you had to have a preacher and you had to hear it, you had to believe it, and you had to call on him or you're going to hell. But what did Elder J.D. Holder say? Before you form an opinion about on a particular Bible subject, you need to know what the, what the Bible says about that subject as a whole. There's way more to it than this. And it goes on and says, and how shall they preach except they be sent? And then it goes on down to verse 17. And here's what I really want out of this. It says, it says so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do y'all see how easy it would be to become confused? Or, or let me say this, how easy it would be to believe this commonly held view 
of the progression of things that have to have to happen in order for somebody to be saved. It says, so faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we got the preacher. We got the message. We got the hearing. We've got the faith that comes from the hearing. The faith generates belief. The belief generates a confession, repentance, and a calling upon the name of the Lord to be saved. I'm not saying this to belittle anybody. It's very easy to believe that if you only are told this part of it. Now, the primitive Baptist view, and what I would say with, with boldness, the apostles' view and, the, and, the, uh, and Jesus Christ view is different than that. The biblical view is different from that. The progression is different. What we would say, and it's very strange to some people to hear it put this way. What we believe is that the Lord, because it pleased Him to do so, borns His people again and puts a new spirit and a new heart in them at, at a time that He has appointed. It's independent of, of any man's efforts. It's as the Bible says, it's like, where, it's like the wind blowing. John 3, 8, it blows where it listeth. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. So is everyone that is born of God. Okay, so we believe that the Spirit of God comes to one of His children that He knew before the foundation of the world. And in an instant, He changes those people. They, we have biblical examples of that. We have people in the womb experiencing that. We have people uh, in the Bible that are very young children experiencing that. We've got um, a thief on the cross. We've got Saul of Tarsus who was killing Christians. We have example after example after example to prove that the Lord borns his people again when he gets ready to. Okay? And when he does that, because ye are sons, as Galatians 4 6 says, God has sent forth the spirit of his, of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. That spirit inside of you is what makes us want to call out to the Lord. The Bible also tells us that that spirit, the fruit of it, the byproduct of it, one of the ninefold fruit of the spirit that's in Galatians 5.22 is faith. Okay, so the primitive Baptist would say, I believe the apostles in the Bible says that the new birth comes first. And as a result of the Lord taking up residence in the heart of a child of God, that spirit that dwells in him and makes him the temple, that spirit produces faith. Now, what is faith? Faith, faith is, to, and I've explained it to you like this before, I know, but maybe somebody will read this or hear this podcast or, uh, you know, somebody that hadn't heard these things before. To me, faith is the power source for your belief. And what I mean by that is, the example that I've used before, it's like a battery. I can take a flashlight and cut it on and off all day long and nothing will shine out of it. But if I put a power source in there and I cut the switch on, it generates something that I can see. James even says, I will show you my faith by my works. When we're born again, we don't get a membership card. To go around and say, look, I'm a born again child of God. See? So how do, you, how do you show your faith? James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. I'll show you my light through my flashlight. But without the power source in the flashlight, I have no light. Without faith in the born again child of God, you have no belief. Faith is the power source that generates belief. And is put there by God. Now, 
that faith, when you hear the gospel preached, that power source of faith gives us the supernatural ability to believe those things. And you say, well, can't everybody? Paul said, no. Paul said they can't. Paul said, pray for us that we may, 2 Thessalonians, the third chapter, pray for us that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men for all men have not faith. By his own admission, the, the Spirit of God divinely inspiring him says, all men do not have faith. That means to me that the gospel will fall on the ears of some and there is no power source inside of them to generate anything because there's no faith there. But that gospel that falls on a child of God generates something inside of them. And James says, I'll show you my faith by, by my works. I'll show you my faith by my obedience to the Lord. I'll show you my faith by my desire to repent. I'll show you my faith in those ways. Now, that's what the primitive Baptists believed. Now, here's, here's where I want to go with this. And I stole this from, um, I stole this from Brother Sonny Piles that I, on a sermon I heard him preach uh, on a recording before I was even born, and I can't think of another example that's any better. <clears throat> I can tell you, and some of you may have heard this before, I can tell you that I have got something in my hand. Okay. At this point, it's just a matter of opinion of what I've got in my hand. Some of you say, well, he's probably got a quarter. Some of you might say he's got a paper clip. Some of you might say he's got a piece of trash. And as many people as are in this room, we could get that many different opinions on what you think I've got in my hand. Now, if I said to you <clears throat> that... I've got a cough drop in my hand. It's, it's no longer a matter of opinion. It's a matter of whether you believe it or not. Okay, so at this point, do you believe me that what I'm telling you is the truth? It's no longer a matter of opinion. Okay, but now, if I show you what I've got in my hand, It's no longer a matter of opinion. It's no longer a matter of belief. It's a matter of whether or not you are willing to accept the truth. Because you can see it. Are you with me? Now, it's a cough drop because that's all I can find up under here. I'm not sick. <clears throat> I meant to put a quarter in my pocket and I forgot. So, <clears throat> this is what I want you to take into that. There are some biblical truths that are hard to accept. Even though the Bible clearly shows them to us. Now, some people's biblical stance is based on their own opinion. I know that because I've done that and I've talked to people. You talk to somebody and they'll say, well, I just think that God does blah, blah, blah. All right, well, that's just a matter of their opinion of who they think God is. But now, there are some people that have thoughts on God based on what they believe because what they've been told. I told you I had a cough drop in my hand, but I didn't show it to you. There are some people that will believe something simply because they've been told that. 
I'm guilty of that, okay? But where the rubber meets the road is if you're shown biblical truths, are you willing to accept them? Because there are some truths that are hard to accept. They are not hard to understand, but they're very hard for us to accept. Now, so here's what I want to do. I've shown you two views here. I've shown you one view that says a preacher's got to preach it. A person's got to hear it. Faith comes from hearing and belief comes from faith and calling upon God comes from that belief. The other view I showed you is that God borns his people again at his appointed time. And at that point, his spirit is placed inside of them and is able to generate faith. They hear the gospel preached and they respond to that gospel because of the faith that is already inside of them. That's two different views, and we've got faith in the gospel falling in different places in those two different views. Now, let's pull the cough drop out and show you. Let's look at examples in the Bible that show us which one of these is true, which one of these lines up the best. There are several, several, but there's two that I want to look at, and the first one is in Acts, the 10th chapter. Now, I want you to remember this. When Jesus sent out his apostles in Matthew, the 10th chapter, Jesus says to them that I want you to take the gospel out. He says, I do not want you to go into the Gentiles. He says, I do not want you to go into any city of Samaria, which means Gentiles. He says, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So Jesus, his, his own charge was this gospel that we're talking about is not to be given and preached to the Gentiles. You are only supposed to take this to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If you remember that there were laws even forbidding a Jewish person from eating with a Gentile person. So that would make sense if I, if I were one of the apostles, that would make sense that, that, that the Lord would come to me and say, okay, you're not even supposed to be eating with these guys. Much less, I mean, I clearly don't take the gospel to them. And so that's what the Lord says. Don't take them to the Gentiles. Now, if salvation is through the gospel, Jesus Christ was withholding salvation from some people. That's a big pothole. Here's another big pothole that's been on my mind. If God wants everybody to be saved, and he's got the power to save them. Why didn't he just save them? You ever thought about that? If I want something and I have the power to get it, I'm just going to get it. If God would have every man to be saved and it's within his power to save him, why wouldn't he just do it? If his love is so great, why wouldn't he just do it? Doesn't make sense, does it? Now, in Acts, the 10th chapter, you have a Gentile. You have a man that the Lord has said, this is the gospel's not for him. It's for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And it says, there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man, one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always or always. Now, let me ask you this. Does that sound like a man that has faith? He's devout. He fears God, although he's never seen God. Think about that. He gives alms to the people and he prayed to God always, although he'd never seen God. 
It sounds like a man that has an inborn faith, does it not? Now, there are hills that I'm not willing to die on, but I will die on the hill of Cornelius was already a born again child of God. A devout man feared God with all his house, gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. The Bible tells us that he sees a vision and I'm not going through all of this. But basically, here's what happens with Cornelius. Cornelius has a vision. Peter has a vision. The vision that Peter has is this. A sheet is lowered down and has all manner of unclean animals in it, creeping things, wild beasts, fowls of the air. And there came a voice in this vision of Peter said, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice spake unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, hath, that's past tense, what I have already cleansed, do not call common or unclean. I'm paraphrasing that. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Cornelius. This is what the Lord is saying. There's a man named Cornelius that I have already cleansed. Don't call him common. And so the Lord arranges a divine meeting between Peter and Cornelius. And when Peter and Cornelius meet, Cornelius meets him and he falls down at his feet and he worships him. The Bible says, Peter says, stand up. I'm just a man myself. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many that were come together. Cornelius has gathered his kinsmen, his family here. Peter goes in and he says to them, Ye know how that is an unlawful thing for a man that is a Jew to keep company or come unto one of another nation. But God has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Okay, it's a little different song that is being sung right now than in Matthew 10 when he says, Don't take the gospel to the Gentiles. Peter's beginning to understand some things that he didn't understand earlier. And he says, look, I'm, I'm not even supposed to be here. It's unlawful for me to be here, but God has shown me something, Cornelius. And Cornelius said, thy prayer is heard and thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. He's telling him what happened to him. He said, yeah, so Cornelius said, four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and the night thou I prayed in mine house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. Again, does that sound like a man that has faith? Yes. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. Not only is Cornelius praying to God, but God's listening. Please don't tell me there's anybody in this world that thinks that this picture here is void of a man with faith. This man has faith. He says, send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodged in the house of one Simon, a tanner by the seaside. He says, immediately therefore I sent to thee, and now as well that thou art come. Now therefore, all, now therefore are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God. All right, you got that? There is no question. It is not even debatable whether or not Cornelius was a man that is full of faith. And then in verse 33, he says basically this. Preach to me. Share the gospel with me and my kinsmen. Before Peter ever preaches, he answers the question for us, about which comes first, the hearing of the gospel or faith. And this is what Peter says. He stands back and he looks at this situation. He thought, 
I'm in a room full of people that I'm not even supposed to be talking to. I'm in a room full of people that the gospel was withheld from. Yet I see a man here who's told me God has, God has told me the man in front of me has already been cleansed. I see this man is praying. I see this man is being heard by God. And before Peter ever speaks, he says, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation, he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. That word accepted means approved. Do you get what Peter said here? I've not preached to you yet, Cornelius. I have not preached to your kinsmen yet. Nobody else has because they weren't supposed to. In our eyes, you're vile, unclean, filthy animals. But God has said he's cleansed you. I see that you're already exercising faith. And the conclusion that I come to is wherever I go, whatever nation I go into, whatever person I meet, when I find somebody that is working righteousness by the faith that God put in their heart, I find somebody that is already approved and accepted with God. And that's a void of a gospel presentation. And then he goes on to preach to them. And then after he preaches to them, you know what they all do? They all go find a place to be baptized. Now, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Here's what you need to take home. Faith does not come into existence by hearing the word of God. Because that would make Acts chapter 10 a lie. Faith comes into appearance by the hearing of the word of God. What did I say James told us? James said, I will show you my faith by my works. What were they showing when they got on? What was Cornelius showing when he got on his knees and prayed every day? What was he showing? His faith. What was he showing when he gave alms to the people? He was showing his faith. What did he show when he climbed up into the baptistry to be baptized? He was showing his faith. You see, the gospel has a way for the born again child of God of growing and bringing their faith into a clearer, more beautiful, more present view. Does that make sense? Hey, listen, do you think it ever crossed Cornelius' mind to be baptized? No, he didn't even know what that was probably until the gospel got to him. And when the gospel got to him, it gave it an opportunity for his faith to be manifested more to the people around him. You see, he was showing his faith by his works. Now, let's go to a couple pages over. Here's another really good one. I don't know how many I've got to have. One's enough for me, but I'm going to give you two just in case. Acts the 8th chapter and the 26th verse. <clears throat> and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, reading Esaias, or Isaiah, the prophet. Now, this is the picture that I've got. Let me, let me ask you this first. Where had this man been and why was he there? The Bible says he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. 
Does that sound like a man with faith? It does to me. A man that's sitting down reading a reading the some manuscripts of the written inspired word of God in Isaiah sitting. Does that sound like a man with faith? It does to me. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, understandest thou what thou readest? Now, this man is 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 he is acting out his faith in the best way he knows how. All right. This man has such little understanding of the Bible, of, of the manuscripts, the scriptures, the inspired word of God they had at that time. He's got such little understanding of it. He doesn't even know what he's reading. But there was something internal in him that drew him to Jerusalem to go worship. And brothers and sisters, that's called faith. And he says, do you understand what you're reading? And he says to him, how can I except, except some man should guide me? How can I unless somebody explains or preaches this to me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter like a lamb dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth and his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation for his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet? Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Now, he's reading the book of Isaiah. And he's reading about the Lord Jesus Christ suffering on the cross for the sins of his people. And he doesn't even know who he's reading about. It's just words on a page that, that for some reason draw him and he's curious about it. But he's a, is this talking about Isaiah? It would be like us reading uh, you know, some part of the Bible about a man hanging on the cross and be like, uh, was that, was that uh, Luke? Or John or Matthew or Mark, was that them talking about them hanging on a cross? Or were they talking about, it's confusion to him. But he's not void of faith. If he was void of faith, he'd have never gone to Jerusalem to worship. If he was void of, of faith, he would have never opened that manuscript to read from the prophet Isaiah. But he does. And notice what it says. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Here is the gospel. Now, what, what do you think ends up happening with the eunuch? The eunuch does the same thing Cornelius and those guys did. He goes to be baptized. Now, here are two examples that I've given you that are crystal clear. That faith preceded a hearing of the gospel. So, it's like the cough drop I showed you. I have shown you in the scriptures that there are at least two examples where faith came before the hearing of the gospel and we could go on beyond two. The question is this, now that I have shown it to you, do you accept it? It's no longer a matter of opinion. It's no longer a matter of whether or not you choose to believe it. It's been shown to you. Are you going to accept it? And again, there are things that are very hard to accept in the Bible because our own pride gets in our way. Now, here's another thing about faith. I know that this message is going to generate questions from people who don't believe what primitive Baptists believe. I know it is because it would have with me. 
You've got to understand that faith is a thing in the child of God that rises and falls, does it not? I can think of there was a Roman centurion. I can also think of the Syrophoenician woman who were in the category that Peter would have said, we don't associate with you. But yet Jesus looked at them both and said, I have not found such great faith, no, not in all Israel. You see, that was a great faith. But yet I read about his apostles who saw things that we couldn't even begin to imagine seeing. And he looked at them and said, oh, ye of little faith. We got little faith. We've got great faith. Our faith fluctuates. Listen, have you ever been down? Have you ever been discouraged? Have you ever been sad about something and come into the house of God and hear somebody preach and as the message of the gospel and the truths of God's word fell on your ears, you felt something rising up inside of you that had been very, very small for maybe a long time and, and you leave out of here bolder and encouraged and thankful and a whole different perspective. Have you ever been that way? I have. You know what that was? That was a little faith going into a great faith. And how did it get there? It's because the gospel has a way of drawing the faith that is already there and to manifest itself in a bigger, brighter way. That's why Cornelius went and got into the, to the waters to be baptized. That's why the eunuch was hungry for what he was hearing and then wanted to go be baptized. That's why when we hear the word of God, we are strengthened. It's because faith... The hearing of God's word and those truths, it, it does something to our faith. It grows it and it strengthens it and it makes it more visible for others to see. Now, if that's not enough for you, let me go to 2 Timothy. I get ready to wind it up here. <clears throat> one of the, this is, I'm not saying it was the first one, but it was one of the first verses that, <clears throat> as I emailed Brother Tim back and forth, it's almost 13 years ago now. And I said, and, and I was in the other camp, okay? I had been in the other camp of, hey, we got we to gotta preach, we got uh, to preach, we got to hear. Hearing brings forth faith into existence. Faith brings belief. Belief brings calling on the Lord and all that stuff. Tell me what's the relationship here between faith and the gospel. He took me to this verse in 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. And it says, speaking of God, who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began, but is now made manifest by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. What does the gospel do? It brings life and immortality to light. It explains it. I heard a preacher say one time, and I don't remember who it was, but the gospel locates and educates the regenerate. Or regenerate, if you've got to have it rhyming. <laughs> the Bible locates and educates the regenerate. And that's what it does. It brings the life, the immortality, the faith that is inside of us, it brings it to light. It exposes it. It explains it. Do you know what the Ethiopian eunuch needed? He's like, I need somebody to unscramble all this. I need somebody to illuminate something for me and explain it and shine some light on it. And what does it say? Philip preached to him Jesus. He explained it to him. 
He explained it through the gospel to somebody that already had the inborn faith put there by the Spirit of God and, and the unit rejoiced in it. Now, the people Paul talked about that he prayed to be delivered from because they were unreasonable and wicked and he says they have no faith. Would you have ever found them in Jerusalem, Jerusalem worshiping? Uh-uh. Would you have ever found them marching over to find Peter and gathering their kinsmen and falling down before him saying, preach to us? Would you have ever found them being devout and giving alms and praying to God and being heard of God? You'd have never found those people doing that because there was no inborn faith and you could have preached the gospel to them till they were blue in the face and nothing would have changed because the gospel does not precede faith. Now I got to leave you with this. All right, Brother Luke, some people will say, well, what about Romans 10 then? Okay, what about where it says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved? I mean, that's black and white, crystal clear. I've heard what you've said and you've given some, some you know, cute little examples. The Bible still says that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let me take you to Psalms 55. David had a tough go of it at times, right? David had to run from Saul and he had to you know, hide for his life. David had a lot of turmoil in his life. David had many enemies that would have loved nothing more than to see him dead. These are some of the things that David says in the Psalms 55. My heart is sore pain within me. The terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are come upon me and horror hath overwhelmed me. He says, oh, if I had wings, I would fly like, if I had wings like a dove, then I would fly away and be at rest. That's where the song comes from. He says, lo, then I would wander off and remain in, my, in the wilderness. And it's, it's, it's doubly sharp. This, this fearfulness for the people that have compassed him around is doubly sharp because it's not the wicked enemies that, that are out there that care nothing about David. These are his friends. David has been betrayed. He says, it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, a man, my equal, my guide, my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked in the house of God in company. I think of it like this. There's some people out there that I don't, you know, a patient could come in and be ugly to me at the office and say some things to me, and it's not going to bother me for two seconds. But if Brother Tim comes to me and says ugly things to me, it's going to break my heart. Why? Because we took sweet counsel together and we walked into the house of the company of God. David is low, and he knows everybody's out to get him. And then what does he say? As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Here is a man that is calling upon the name of the Lord and is going to be saved. How is he going to be saved? Well, I'll tell you one way he was saved. You remember King Saul was asleep when he was chasing David and he's trying to kill David. And the Bible says that the Lord made a deep sleep fall on Saul. So much and all his army and all his soldiers, so much so that David tiptoed in there, pulled up his shirt, cut part of his shirt off and ran over and said, look what I did. That was God that did that. That was God that saved a man right there from his enemies. Why? Because David called upon the name of the Lord. I can think of another time where there are apostles and the disciples in a ship with Jesus. He's asleep and they're going out in the sea and their storm comes and the waves are crashing in and the boat's about to sink and they go down and they shake the Lord and they call him by name. They say, Lord, save us. We perish. 
There, are, there is example after example of people calling upon the name of the Lord and receiving salvation from King Saul, from the sea, from all types of things. Can you call on the name of the Lord to be saved? Yes. But not from your sins and the wrath of God and an eternity in hell. Because he did all that for you. Do you need to call upon the name of the Lord? Do you need to confess? Do you need to believe in your heart? Yes. And there is a salvation in that on this side of heaven. If that generates questions, we'll talk later. Because I'm out of time. Again, let me go back to J.D. Holder. No man should form an opinion on a Bible subject until he is thoroughly familiar with what that, the Bible has to say on that subject as a whole. You know, when I started studying the Bible... I learned so much more about grace than I originally knew that it changed my view on grace. I learned so much more about the gospel and faith as I studied the Bible as a whole that it changed my view on those things. Study the Bible as a whole. And if something is shown to you like the cough drop, accept it. Don't fight it. The, the mantra that many missionaries walk to is the first step in that sequence of salvation is somebody went and preached. And brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to take anything away from any missionary. By all means, go preach. But bring life and immortality to light. To the Ethiopian eunuch who's already a born-again child of God and heaven will be his home, educate him. Bring understanding to him through the gospel. Show him what great things the Lord has done for us. But don't go with the burden that if I don't do it, somebody might end up in hell. Because where I can't, I, I, it's like the preacher says, I'll agree with you as long as I can. Folks, if you believe that, how do you ever do anything but go? I don't get it. If you believe that you're the first step in somebody ending up in heaven, how do you go on vacation? How do you take a nap? How do you go fishing? How do you eat? That's a burden. I heard Brother Ricky Harker say one time, that's a burden that we were not meant to bear. But go preach. Go overseas. Go as far to the ends of the earth. But when you go, understand that all your preaching does is bring life and immortality to light. Because without an inborn faith that God already puts there, there will be no response other than anger and hate. I hope that that's been profitable to you and shed a little more light on the relationship between faith and the gospel. And I know I went a little bit over, so y'all please forgive me.